thank you very much, and, and also that you came here. I know that uh, I, I learned that in, in, in this term it's very difficult to get people for uh, kind of lectures because all the students at least sign exams, and maybe that's not the same for postgraduate students, and of course not for professors like <laughs> Julian Roberts, who have all the time of their life, you know, we are in a privileged position, so we can waste our time listening to Kai Ambos. Okay, but um, uh, thanks for this invitation. Um, uh, the, this topic is highly complex, but I count with various Colombians, or at least one I know uh, in the audience, and others from the Americana and other experts, so we can certainly find some agreement on some tricky, hot issues uh, in this talk. First of all, if we talk about Colombian peace process, some would question already challenge that it's a peace process, you know? Gustavo Bayon, a very famous human rights lawyer, which I worked with 25 years ago when I lived one year in Bogota doing my doctoral thesis. Uh, I met him once in the plane five years ago, coming from Bogotá, and he said, what, what peace process? What do you mean peace process? That's not the peace process, that's just a kind of uh, disguise of giving rights or, or certain privileges to certain people. That was actually with the paramilitary negotiation under Alvaro Uribe, the former government, which, as you know, is now radically against this, what is done by the former defense minister, who is now the president of Colombia. So um, one has to be very careful, and the, the general official, let's say, discourse, peace negotiations, peace process, the thing is highly complex. You have different actors. You have paramilitary groups. You have, of course, drug trafficking in Colombia for years and still existing, more now in Mexico, but it's still existing. You have guerrilla groups. You have not only the FARC, which is the largest guerrilla group, and the oldest one. You have the ELN, which is Herdo Liberación Nacional, which may come into negotiations and then you have um, so-called Bagrim, you know, Bandas Criminales, which are ex-paramilitary groups, new paramilitary groups. Here the interesting legal issue is, are they actually combatants under IHL, International Humanitarian Law? Are they just criminals? Yeah, and that would make difference in terms of treatment, yeah? Legally speaking, mm -hmm. how do we treat them? This process we are talking about now, <coughs> this special jurisdiction for peace, Maybe we could darken this a little bit, Leila, to mm -hmm. make it more visible, the lights. I'm not sure. It, I don't think you will see this in, in the back. You can also come in the front, obviously. So if we talk about this process with the FARC, um, this is a, a officially the negotiations happening with the FARC in Havana, as you know, in, in Cuba. But you have to see the whole process. I mean, this is. Even if we say, like Tom Koenig, the German uh, special representative for peace, uh, finally there will be a deal, we have no peace in Colombia. We are far away from peace. Even if this will be signed, this final agreement. And then you have to understand that this is a long process which developed along different measures, different tables. And so you have four agreements of which only one, the last one, is really about what we could, strictly sense to call transitional justice measures, if we take it from a legal perspective, i.e. the question, how do we deal with atrocities? Yeah? What do we do with these people who committed crimes, FARC or public forces? The other was on agrarian reform, land reform, and then there was one on political participation, very important issue, how do you get a former armed group, yeah, 
to be a political party, for example, there's also a tricky issue here in Islamic history, we come back to this, a big issue for the FARC right now, how can you guarantee safety of a group which gives up the fight? I mean, you, you know, you give up your arms and then you will be killed, perhaps, by others, and that happened with Union Patriotica, 20,000 people killed in Colombia. It was a political party established out of a guerrilla movement. And then you have the truck issue, you have a special <coughs> agreement on Desarrollo Alternativa, alternative development drugs. And the force, the force table or the force agreement was on the issue of, um, they call it Aguel uh, de Victimas. It's also kind of misnomer because it's not only about victims. Why do they call it Victimas? Because everybody wants to do something for the victims. It's a little bit, it's all politics in a way because you can challenge this if it's really enough for the victims I mean, in this agreement, but they call it Aguerre de Victimas. Really, it is, an, it is an agreement about, um, let's say, how to, to cope with the crimes committed. Yeah? And what are the uh, responses of the state to crimes committed during the conflict by all actors? Yeah? And here you have you one big issue that's a Rationale Personae is so broad, yeah, it's not limited to the FARC, it's, it includes uh, Colombia, the Herdito, the army, the uh, whole armed force of Colombia. So this is actually the agreement which contains this special jurisdiction for peace, yeah, which is a kind of new hybrid, but a la Colombiana. So it's not really it's really something new. The Colombians are very, very great. No, I, I mean this positively in terms of invention of norms. They have invented many different systems. With the paramilitaries, we had a very complicated law. And now with this, you have again something which is not a copy, but they took some experiences. It will be a parallel system, and that's a new thing for Colombia, to the normal criminal justice system. Yeah? In the old systems, in all, all in the old cases, paramilitarism M19, you had an integrated chamber, for example, yeah, Tribunal de Orden Publico, in the normal criminal justice system, yeah, which is what we normally do. I mean, we did it in Cambodia and we do it in East Timor, so we, we, we will not have a kind of parallel set up a parallel system, and that is a big problem because if you set up a parallel system, you start from the scratch. So which building will this will these people use? I mean, this special jurisdiction for peace. Who will work for this institution, this new institution? So you are really creating a new institution from the scratch, yeah? and that's that makes things actually more complicated. That's an interesting point to discuss. Maybe why was it not an integrated thing in the criminal justice system as it was before? Um, also, you have to understand, Leila made this point, we have not yet a deal, okay? We have, because uh, the president made the point, all or nothing, yeah? We sign everything, we agree on everything, and then we make a final signature. This should have been done in 23rd of March, but it was not done, because there are certain issues to be resolved. For example, the big issue, disarmament of the park, and what will happen then in terms of protection. Um, so um, now the news are maybe this year still there will be a final signature. Yeah, you have this new idea coming up again in terms of this creativity of the Colombian negotiators of a Acuerdo Humanitario, so humanitarian agreement 
under common Article 3, here's another issue for you to think about in your studies, is this possible? Is this possible to have a humanitarian <coughs> agreement under common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions for such a big, 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 big agreement? It's not just exchange of prisoners. What have been, has been done with the FARC a few years ago, Colombian government on exchange of prisoners. So here's another issue which is not clear. The Colombian government wants to i.e. that means to make this agreement immune against the ICC, perhaps, International Criminal Court, and then you put up something, you take the common article 3, you call it humanitarian agreement, and you, you think then it will get the Swiss governments and ICRC approvals. You know, the ICRC, International Committee of the Red Cross, is actually supervising the conventions. They put it up in Berna, they sent this whole document to Berna, to Switzerland, always sounds very serious, you know. And then people will think, okay, that's a good agreement because the Swiss people, these correct people, you know, <coughs> Swiss, worse than the Germans, they put their signature on it, and then perfect. Well, that's really the question. Uh, there is a very important, eminent Colombian constitutionalist, Rodolfo Arango, who made the point, he's really very good, he made the point that this is not possible under common article three. And I think it is highly difficult. We can discuss it if there are some international humanitarian lawyers in the room or later. And if this is un if this if this is if, if this is so fits, you know, under common article three. But then it's just one of the last U-turns in this history of the negotiations. So what is this special jurisdiction for peace about? I want to show you more or less a structure. It's really, I, I tell you again, it's just one agreement or four agreements, and, and we are now looking only on the more legal parts. So we look of the, the limits of the special jurisdiction for peace, the judicial structure of the special jurisdiction, selection, prioritization of cases, and what I call the dimensions. What are we talking about? Maybe you have heard uh, the highly controversial Ingrid Betancourt, who lives in Paris but sometimes now comes back more regular to Columbia, mm -hmm. she was once abducted. There's another story. And she gave an interview to BBC. You know, I'm always listening to BBC. Robert already said I should change the station because they are better with Cambridge than with Oxford. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they will shut it down in the way BBC. But they made an interview with Ingrid Betancourt, and Ingrid Betancourt made some rare statements. She's not really a lawyer, and she's not really involved in the process. She said, we go case by case. You will later see what we are talking about here. I mean, it's so unreal, surreal. I mean, if you talk about 20, 30,000 suspects going case by case, I mean, forget about it. That's, that was, uh, 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 it's just out of any re real dimension in this, in this process, what we are talking about here. So, uh, limits. Now, the first thing is that the Colombians say we are creating a Sistema Integral de Verdad, Justicia, Reparación y No Repetición. This is the abbreviation, okay? <laughs> Keep it in mind, yes? Integration. Well, I think everybody understands this, even non-Spanish speakers. So it's a, what the Americans call a holistic approach, you know? They always go around and say, I like this holistic approach, you know? Then you ask more exactly, what do you mean by holistic approach? Well, that's another question. But holistic sounds very good and comprehensive even better. And then you say you make a comprehensive thing. It's not just special jurisdiction for peace. It's not just criminal justice. It's 
not just prosecutors and trying, but we have something which is a truce commission. We have a unit to search for disappeared persons. We have reparation measures and we have no repetition. That is not very consistent. You would, what, what, what do you mean by no repetition under structure? But they call it like this, no repetition. It's obviously in the American case law. And what they want to say is they want to have this, this very broad focus. And here one question is, in my question time, how do you delimitate prosecution from truce commission? Yeah, there's a competence, competence jurisdiction issue here. But this is, so this is, this is a very broad project and then you must, you must put it in the context of the Colombian judicial system. Because you have the ordinary judicial system, I said that it's a parallel system, so you have the normal working Colombian justice and you have, for example, in the Fiscalia, in the Colombian Attorney General, you have a special unit for human rights. They are investigating human rights violations. And you have the whole paramilitary process, which was under Alvaro Uribe, the lay 975, um, Lady Justicia y Paz, which is still ongoing. So you have, and, and then the question is, what happens to people which are in this process? Will they switch then to the new special jurisdiction? So there are some technical problems involved. <clears throat> Now, what is this definition? The, the agreement we are talking about has about 70 pages. There was an interesting story. It was published first as a kind of declaration of press declaration, five pages in, in the major newspapers, and there was a lot of pressure on the Colombian government and the FARC to publish the whole agreement. The agreement is 70 pages, and um, it's a highly complex agreement. So I just give you some of the uh, some extracts. It was translated by Human Rights Watch, but it's a little bit, you have to take caution. If you read Spanish, better go to the original version because there are tra translational issues. The justice component of this system called Special Jurisdiction for Peace is a special jurisdiction that carries out judicial functions autonomously and preferentially regarding the issues within its competence, especially regarding conducts that are considered serious breaches of international humanitarian or serious human rights violations. So, preferentially, so you, you, could, you could maybe make the point that here it's a kind of like ICTY, ICTR, top tribunal thing. You know, you say everything which falls under our competence, we say special jurisdiction, we will deal with. And the ordinary justice system is subsidiary. Um, that, that would be one possible interpretation. But that also raises the question, what happens um, if you have tried someone under the special jurisdiction and you will acquit this person or you give an amnesty, will this has res judicata effect? You know, final, final judgment, materielle rechtskraft in German, you know, will this has this effect? So that, that's another issue. Of course, you want this security. I mean, if I were a park member, I would not submit to a system where they once try me, and then they say, okay, we couldn't prove that you are guilty, but now we send you to the ordinary justice system, or even to the ICC, or even to the United States, worse, you know, under extradition. Here's another issue, as you know, a very, very difficult issue. Um, the composition of the special jurisdiction for peace, if it were not complicated enough, I mean, you have seen, we have the special jurisdiction for peace, we have truth, we have unit. We have no repetition, and in the special jurisdiction, you have different levels. 
You have a chamber of acknowledgement of truth, responsibility, and establishment of facts of con and conduct. You have the so-called peace tribunal. You have the chamber for amnesty or pardon. You have the chamber for the definition of legal situations, which is a kind of fallback chamber for other cases which are not dealt with by these. And then you have an investigation indictment unit. There, here the question is, will this be part of the Attorney General's special unit for um, um, uh, international crimes? Now, this is highly complicated. And then you have to, to try to simplify a little bit, basically two procedures under the system. <clears throat> One is, you can basically distinguish between the following situations. Someone comes before a chamber, we, let's say that this acknowledgement whatever chamber, and then you are confronted with an indictment, with charges. Here's the issue. Who is actually making, this, making up these charges? I don't know. I, I mean, it can give you some ideas, but I think there is no, apart from part of the Attorney General, which has many problems, Montelegro now left and so on, is, is, is this really possible? But you have to give something first. It's not like the late 975 <laughs> when you had the version libre, when you had in, in the law for the paramilitaries, it was that you had to confess. So there was no <coughs> charges. You came into the, into the hearing and you had to talk as a paramilitary. And you talk, 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 talk. You, you, you lie, you lie, you lie, you lie. You know, you say, I did this, I did this, I did that. And then they should have verified this and then they give you maybe, they grant you an exemption. Under this system, it's like a normal criminal trial in the sense that you need charges. And you can then say, I accept charges. I admit to all the charges. Then you would be in this procedure, case of acknowledgement, or you just say, I do not admit. So I plead guilty, I do not plead guilty, basically. That's in a way the, 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 the dual system. And if you, if you then have a late, then you have a further differentiation. <clears throat> now, if you fully acknowledge the truth, it's also highly difficult to say the truth, but you, you, you have charges. I mean, in terms of presumption of innocence, you, you have not yet proven that this person, Park or whoever, is responsible for these crimes. Yeah? So you have charges. Full acknowledgement of truth, in this sense, means you fully acknowledge the charges. But that could be what we call in the German discussion a formal admission of charges. That means, well, I didn't do it, but I admit anyway. That's what you, what you have in the adversarial procedure a lot. Because you want to get the benefits. Yeah, the benefits, in this case, I get restriction of liberty. In Spanish, restricción de libertad. And here's a question, no? which is not imprisonment. Yeah? It's not castle, it's not necessarily imprisonment. That could be, don't leave Oxford, no? What a hard punishment, come on. You cannot leave Oxford, that's terrible. Imagine, it's obviously, it's, it would be great. You can stay all the time in Oxford. So <laughs> that means people will say, well, that's ridiculous, come on. And, and you, you have this kind of sonar distinction, you make a big hacienda like Worcester College, you know, imagine. You cannot leave Worcester College, you have everything in Worcester College. You can stay there happily. I mean, you don't have to leave, except you want to give a talk in somewhere in Cambridge, but not necessarily. Stay in Oxford. So, restriction of liberty, many people have said, Colombian Procurador General, I don't even, that's nothing, that's impunity. Even Human Rights Watch made this point in amnesty, that's impunity, you know. Now, if you don't, if you don't admit, we will try you, and then you may get maximum 20 years imprisonment. 
Dennis Castle get as imprisonment, but there is a little issue in the agreement which speaks of differentiated treatment. Tratamiento diferenciado. What does it mean, tratamiento diferenciado? So how do you want to differentiate between FARC and military? For example, military people in Colombia never go to a normal prison. You will go to a military prison, and that's nicer, you know, <laughs> much nicer. And the FARC then may go to the Castle Modelo in Bogota, and they may have a special track maybe, but they will still be in the normal prison. So that could be the meaning, but nobody knows because it's not defined. What is tratamiento diferencial? In the end, it's 20 years. Now, here's a, even there, the people against this say, Procurador General Alvaro Uribe, what do you mean? 20 is nothing. We are giving easily in Colombia 50 years. In Colombia, you do not have, you do not have life imprisonment under the Constitution, but in fact, you give higher prisons than in my country. Because you just accumulate. You, you give 50 years in Germany, nobody under life imprisonment would normally stay 50 years, except it's a dangerous offender. In other words, what you do here, you privilege these people compared to normal criminals. In other words, if someone murders three persons in Colombia, he will get 50 years. Easily. Yeah? Temporal imprisonment. Here you get maximum 20. And here's an issue where people like Hector Lasso, which you may very well know, old friend of mine who worked at the ICC, very important person, now professor in Colombia, disagrees with me and says, this is against the statute. This violates the statute. So it's not only the Procurador de Colombia, which is a kind of right-wing person, but very renowned international criminal lawyers like Hector Lasso have a problem with this ideas because compared to the normal prison range, yeah, sentencing range in the Colombian system. We can discuss it. And then you have another thing. If you have an acknowledgement tardio, so late, nobody knows what that means. One hour later, one day later, one month, yeah. <laughs> Not defined what is late, yeah. Then you get five to eight years imprisonment, so castle. So that would be the alternative, alternative uh, uh, punishment, so-called alternative punishment, or sanction better. Now, I told you this is complicated. I just show you this. I do not want to bother you with this. I, you don't want, if you do master thesis, you have to study this very hard. This is broken down the procedure. Yeah. This is, look, look at this. I mean, who can understand this? It's very difficult. But this would be the procedure. Um, I think we should just go on. <laughs> the question of the ratione materie, what are the crimes under the jurisdiction? Here you could have a certain limitation, but you have two problems. You have the Inter-American Court of Human Rights and you have the International Criminal Court. And not only that, you have the Colombian Constitutional Court which in two very important decisions also defined the crimes which cannot be amnesty. In no way could be amnesty. Basically, what the, what the agreement takes up is this case law. Yeah? In the American court, ICC statute and Constitution court, and it goes beyond, it goes beyond the ICC statute because it does not only cover crimes against humanity, genocide, serious war crimes, but it takes individual crimes 
without context element, hostage taking, torture, extrajudicial execution, forced disappearance, violent sexual intercourse, and other kinds of sexual violence, that's very broad, yeah? Other kinds of sexual violence, child abduction, forced displacement, as well as the recruitment of minors. So this is clearly going beyond the Rome Statute. So the agreement is basically saying all these crimes are not eligible for amnesty or pardon. That means that all these crimes must be treated by the special jurisdiction. Yeah? And I was very surprised that this was accepted by the FARC. Other people told me, well, you should be surprised it was, that it was accepted by the Colombian army, because they also did something. So in any case, it, it was accepted. And it's, it's, imagine this 20 years ago. I mean, before the famous Velasquez Rodriguez case in the, in the American system, 25 years ago, when we had the reunification in Germany, uh, we didn't have all this case law. I mean, we, we, we are now in a situation where you just cannot, at least in a law-abiding state like Colombia, in the inter-American system, where you have this strong inter-American court, you can just not get away with amnesty for these crimes. And if you look at this ratione materie, I don't understand human rights which legal vivango and amnesty. I mean, what else do you want? Even this will not be possible to be implemented. We will see why in a moment. You cannot in no system, not the English criminal justice, not the German, not the Norwegian, more or less efficient systems, will be able to deal with all these crimes. You know? So, it's not only the ratione materie, which is very broad, but you also have ratione persone. Yeah? All persons, number 3263 of the agreement, directly or indirectly involved indirectly involved in the conflict. So, the cook of FARC, imagine, the gardener, if they had a college, imagine FARC was a little college like Wurster, the gardener is very important, you know, I learned it also again. The head gardener would be responsible for international crimes because these guys were just in a good mood, you know, all the time because they had this nice garden. I mean, this point I had cases with paramilitaries when when I was in, in one, once in Santander, Colombia, and they presented to us a paramilitary who had confessed, and then we talked to this man, and he said, what did you actually do? And he expected that he would say, well, I cut off the heads of all these people, you know, and I did this and this and this and this. Well, I cooked. What did you cook? Well, arroz, uh, arroz y pollo cada día, you know? So we, we thought, oh, that's good, that's a good system. So this guy was actually under the paramilitary amnesty laws, uh, benefited, I mean, he was not really, big criminal, you know. So you would think here, um, indirectly involved. This reminds you of all these German cases, what happened to these um, firms who sent the poison to the gas chambers, yeah? Or even these cases of neutral acts, yeah? You send the, 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 the food to the, to the concentration camp. Without the food, these people could not torture others because they would not have the strength, you know? So where do we draw the line? Where is, who is still, <coughs> Involved or not involved. So that's very, very broad. So everybody who in a way participated in the armed conflict is involved. So what do you do here? The, the thing what you have to do is you have to reduce this spike of possible suspects and crimes to make this in a way operational. Now the Colombians took from the international experience, ICTY, ICC, some strategies like selection and prioritization of cases. 
Um, basically, the eternal channel in Monte Alegre, with the help of some consultants, this lady worked with one of them, Professor Alfonso, and so they were very famous people in the <laughs> you have the famous people in Latin America, you never know who is with whom, you know. No. But uh, they developed uh, directives. There is a very famous directive, Directiva of the Attorney General, who implements the actually what the ICC prosecutor does, so selection and prioritization. So we want to select what are our criteria to select cases and how do we prioritize cases, cases one case over the other. Now this is, this is first of all very abstract, but they say basically we should focus on patterns and context of macro crime. We cannot investigate each massacre yeah, of each paramilitary group, but we must focus on patterns. For example, we take one massacre of one Frente, one Glocke, and this is representative of all the 20 other massacres. And then it shows us a kind of criminality also in terms of the involvement, financial involvement, because who financed this kind of crimes and stuff like that? Who is behind these crimes? Emphasis on emblematic cases and key positions in the structure of criminal organizations. Here's a big issue of the question, how do you get to the most responsible in these organizations? What are the rules of imputation? You must remember Colombia is a civil law jurisdiction. Yeah? Uh, so it's very influenced by Germany in criminal law. It has made a big reform in procedure, more going to the adversarial procedure, but it's one of these interesting countries where you have an adversarial procedure and a substantive civil jurisdiction law, which many comparatives always said it's not possible to have these two together, but in Colombia it exists at least. If it works well, it's another question, but it exists, so it's possible. <clears throat> and then um, the, the reference to gravity and representativity First of all, you have the list of offenses, which I quoted above, and you have um, this directive, which I mentioned, this is a directive of Attorney General, and it refers to gravity, how our fundamental rights are affected and how has the conduct been executed, and representativity, series of criminal acts and dynamics and commission of crimes. So this is all, all very difficult because we have a long, a series of cases at the ICC to define gravity. Yeah, gravity, as you may know, is under Article 17, complementarity principle, one of the issues to consider. And it's highly um, controversial what gravity really means. So that will be a big, big issue to define. And you can just think it, think it through. I mean, in a mass crime situation, German Nazi Germany or any state, Stalin or yet Mount Columbia, what is your criterion to say these are the greatest crimes? What is your point of reference? Is it the ICC once said in Lubanga social alarm course? I mean, that's nothing. What, is, what does it mean? How can you empirically assess what, what social alarm uh, has been caused? So that's highly, highly difficult. So the gravity threshold also has been an object of various uh, writings, papers by different people. So it's highly, highly uh, controversial. <clears throat> the question of the most responsible. What is clear? You cannot go after each and every Tom and Harry. Hein, Hinz und Kunz. <laughs> it's a nice translation, by the way. We say Hinz und Kunz in German, and 
I think in English it's every Tom, Harry, and Dick or something. No? Tom, Dick, and Harry. Tom, Dick, and Harry. That's a nice idiomatic uh, 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 things you only learn if you are in England. You cannot just learn it in school, you know, these kind of things. That, that's, uh, that's an interesting point. So we, we want to concentrate, to focus on the most responsible. That is also, as you know, ICC, OTP, Office of the Prosecution talk. But who are the most responsible? Well, all these people who negotiate in, in Havana. Yeah, the whole, whole directorate of the FARC. They are the most responsible. should go after them in the first place. And then the leadership of the Colombian health. The president of Colombia, come on, he was a defense minister when they made the famous Falsos Positivos, you know. They killed people saying these are guerrillas, you know, instead of normal peasants, you know. They killed all, they, they even got money for it, you know. This was under this president, you know. Don't forget it. Maybe something will happen to the president if he resigns. If he not resigns, but if he will <laughs> leave office anyway, because he cannot stand third term, so he will have maybe to face um, these things. He is certainly the most responsible. We are talking about the leadership. We are talking about the generals. We are talking about the leadership of the park. We are not talking about <coughs> the foot soldiers. Yeah, We are talking about the leadership. So, And we have, in both, we have state agents and members of the FARC. This is not an agreement only for the FARC. Many people forget this. <coughs> That's why who was on the table? The Colombian military. They were there in Cuba. It's not just that the FARC let's say, put pressure on the Colombian government. But the Colombian military, they clearly have interest that certain crimes should not be investigated or should investigate in a certain way. I give you one argument here, very legalistic, important argument. One of the most important legal doctrines to impute crimes of food soldiers to the leaders is command responsibility. Yeah? Superior responsibility, responsibility and mando, vorgesetzten Verantwortlichkeit. We have it in Article 28, Rome Statute. It is applied in Colombia, permanent case law, by the Colombian Supreme Court. And as you remember, under international criminal law, you do not need knowledge of the acts committed by your subordinates. It's sufficient that you should have known. So it's a kind of negligence what is required, yeah? is less than recklessness in English terms, is less than dolus eventualis in civil jurisdiction terms, it should have known. And you have tried people, Yamashita, the first one by the Americans, under the ICTY, ICTR, who were very remote from the act, but you just make the point that these people should have known, and with maybe highly dubious evidence. This has been abolished under the Colombian Agreement, because under the Colombian Agreement, you require knowledge. Yeah? That means that here is one point where the Columbian Agreement clearly falls beyond international standards. If the ICC wants to make the point that Colombia is not following the standard of the statute, <coughs> he could say Colombia has a command responsibility doctrine which on the mens rea level, on the subjective level, requires less than Article 28 yeah? because it does not um, it, it requires knowledge and it does not allow to convict someone on the basis of should have known. Okay, That's a very important point. It is a little bit in between the lines and it was not criticized by Human Rights Watch. That would have been a point instead of this general criticism that is immunity, 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 going on the concrete points. Here you have a point where you could say the agreement is 
is difficult, and, and here is also a very important question for you to think of, especially if Colombians in the room. Why is this an agreement? Is it for the FARC or is it for the Colombian army? Yeah? It's a very important question. And in the political discussion in Colombia, it is everything bad in this agreement is, 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 is sent to the FARC, yeah? made the FARC responsible. But perhaps these kind of limitations are more in the interest of the Colombian army than in the interest of the FARC. Then the question, who is the most responsible? We have Colombian case law and we have this Attorney General Directive. Um, I have put this into in Spanish because I thought that that's more, it's basic, it's, I think it's not so difficult. Role essential would be essential role of the person in the, in the criminal organization. Uh, so this person has directed uh, had the control or finance the commission of the crimes. This is, is, very, is also very broad. I mean, it's, it's an essential role. Everybody who is in a leadership position, in a way, or who gives money, could have an essential role. So it's also quite, quite broad. Um, and then in the directive of the Colombian Attorney General, it's even broader because they say, most responsible is also subordinate who committed delitos particularmente notoriosos. In other words, a subordinate, a foot soldier, who commits a specially grave crime is defined as most responsible in this directive. That's very broad. It's not the idea of most responsible because, of course, a foot soldier is taking part in a massacre. Yeah, he will torture, he burns corpses, he does everything. I mean, he is doing these things. I talked to many paramilitaries in Colombia when I did a study in the law 975 and they did terrible things. So if you apply this definition, they should all be prosecuted. But that's just not possible, yeah, in practical terms. So talking about the dimensions, what are we talking about here, empirically speaking? This is of course all hypothetical because we do not have investigations. We have certain investigations going on in the Fiscalia, but this was a this these were figures published by the Attorney General the, uh, the, the 3rd of March in the, it was in El Tiempo, the major newspaper in Colombia, and they talked about, about more than 10,000 members of the FARC and 7,500 members of the armed forces and 5,300 of civilians. So this, this, this makes 20, more than 20,000 persons. We have to close it, okay? They talked about, and then they put this footnote here, 10,000 with amnesty or special process. Nobody knows why. I mean, how can you get 10,000 off the hoop like this, you know? Uh, well, nobody knows. <clears throat> 48 million pages. We're still thinking of pages. <laughs> um, 32,000 processes, 100,000 or more criminal acts. What do we need? 3,000 officials. 3,000, so if you're looking for jobs, <laughs> 3,000. You know Spanish and you are now from Oxford, they will happily receive you. Come on, I mean, really good people. <laughs> they are happy if you come from here to go back. And if you want to do this, come on, you have a good chance. 1,670 should research context. That's a little bit what you have in OTP. You have a special unit for context research. What was the context of the crimes? Yeah, that's the idea. 
that costs 680 million US dollars and so on. Well, money is not a problem. Yes, money is not a problem. United States already gave, gave a lot of money, European Union, everybody gives money to Colombia. There's a lot of money. Adam Branch said in Cambridge uh, these days when you have here talk by Zachary Kaufmann and Adam Branch made it quite very good. I like it very much, the, the, the response to Zachary Kaufmann. He made this point, this transitional justice industry Know. And Colombia is a case in point. It's really an industry. You know. Everybody um, using this. That means we should maybe talk. I, I'm really <coughs> in a position very difficult. You invite me here, and then I, I talk bad about transitional justice. I'm a very fierce critic of transitional justice in all of these Rightly so. <laughs> writings. Uh, but you have a transitional justice series. So I was really thinking when Julian made this link, should I accept this invitation? I had ethical problems. And then I come here and I, 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 I'm so critical about transitional justice. And you have a transitional justice series. I didn't even mention the word transitional justice. You may have realized it, it's a very dangerous word, also in the Colombian context. But there's at least enough money in the market, and we don't need money. Now we have another statistics, which was published by Semana, which is a weekly, very important in Colombia, Las Cifras del Tribunal de Paz. The source, we don't know what is the source of Semana, but they might have talked to some people, and they say 11,000 people, so it's, it's less, so less, 100,000 criminal acts, officials, 500 officials, yes, that's, that's much less, and 33 million. This shows you nobody knows exactly what, what we need and what would be necessary. Yeah? Now, that's my last thing, the questions. There are many, many questions we can discuss, but I just put up a few questions for discussion. How can we delimitate the special jurisdiction for peace from the Truce Commission? How can causas mas grandes y representativas reasonably be interpreted? Is it a reference to cases, or is it a reference to crimes, or is it a reference to persons, yeah, if we talk of gravity and, and representativity? What is late, late acknowledgement of the truth? Can drug trafficking, that's a special, special, very tricky question under Colombian law, es delito conexo al delito politico, be amnesty. There is a big, big tradition in Colombia of political offense, highly interesting. I have a doctoral student from Colombia who does a doctorate on this. It was been worked mm -hmm. by many Colombians, a highly interesting thing, how do they understand political offense, yeah, the whole political offense concept, and what falls under, we can discuss this, under political offense. That was a point Uribe criticized very much. He said, with this, drug traffickers will be political uh, offenders, and they will be amnestied. Yeah? Participation of victims, yeah? is it sufficient, for example, they should be heard <coughs> with regard to the prioritization and selection of cases according to the agreement. How should that work in practice? You ask a victim and you bring the victim and every victim will ever say this, my case is the most important case. So how can they play, interfere with this, in this process? What is the differentiated treatment between state agents and the FARC? Is, is, possible, uh, is a possible sanction um, acceptable for the ICC, the, the possible sanctions, or so the sanctions we have seen, imprisonment and restriction of liberty, restriction of liberty, are the acceptable sanctions for the International Criminal Court? What are special conditions of, of deprivation of liberty? 
who are the judges of the special jurisdiction? There is my one point I did not mention. This special jurisdiction will have five international judges and 20 Colombians. It's also a nice mix. I mean, normally we have one third, two thirds, but here you have a clear, clear majority of Colombian judges. The big issue is, as you can imagine, who will elect these Colombian judges? Who, how will they be elected? And what is the role of the international judges in this panorama with so many Colombian judges? It's, it's, it's highly complex. It's really, really very complex. And so I don't know how this should work. And then how should this whole personally meet? I mean, let's talk about 500 people, only the minimum. How should these people be recruited? Yeah, that's, that's also a big problem. OK, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to your questions. Thank <laughs> you.